and welcome to the Stoke City Years, a season-by-season season review of every single Stoke City season Stoke. Uh, from all Stoke FC in this case. Uh, every Stoke season until the present day. And we are now on the 1889-99 to 99 season. Is that right? 1898-99 to 99 season, sorry. Yes. Uh, it, yes, there's lots of nines and eights and I'm getting confused. Uh, so 98-99, if you like. And just a kind of history lesson, what was happening in the world in 1898. Uh, Great Britain leased Hong Kong off the Qing Dynasty for 99 years. Harrods installed the first escalator in the UK. And H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds is first published. But the chances of anything coming from Stoke are a million to one. Um, so, uh, we've, we've stayed up the previous season. We've... Uh, uh, kind of via farcical test match, uh, kept our status in the first division uh, al- alongside, uh, well, sort of newly promoted Burnley as well. Uh, the the kit's slightly different uh, this time out. We've got we've gone to a, a blue shorts with our uh, sort of mm. mulberry coloured tops as well. Um, so, ni- eighteen ninety eight to ninety nine uh, sees the introduction of automatic promotion and relegation between the first and second division, partly due, well, pretty much <laughs> totally due to that uh, shit show from, from Stoke and Burnley at the Victoria ground. Um, and Stoke's fortunes improved marginally as they took 12th place out of 18 in the first division. Uh, this from the Stoke City Encyclopedia. The season hardly started well when three players were suspended for a breach of club rules during pre-season training exercises. Do you know what this uh, offence was, Tony? That rings a bell, but I haven't got anything at all. That's terrible. They they drank champagne. Oh. I don't know if it was during pre-season training exercises, <laughs> like they're, they're, they're going for a jog and, and swigging... Moe, but um, <laughs> they, they drank champagne. I, I assume it's just um, an affront to the working class sensibilities of the area and the football club. Yeah, it, even in the, I, I'd assume Bass would have yeah, been fine. Yeah, or pedigree for a special occasion. Mm. Um, Stoke's form rate in eighteen ninety eight to nineteen was erratic to say the least, with only three wins coming in their opening twelve matches, five in the middle twelve, and five in the last ten. The highlight was undoubtedly a convincing 3-0 victory over the champions to beat Aston Villa on New Year's Eve, while Burnley and Sheffield United were both well beaten, each by 4-1. However, the kind of interesting uh, drama of this season, as far as I think we're both concerned, is uh, relating to uh, the infamous Mr Bill Rowley, who <laughs> uh, I think he's probably the man we've talked about the most during these uh, initial podcasts. He certainly had a massive... Uh, influence over the club's history. In August 1898, Secretary William Rowley, so uh, not technically manager, but sort of at the club in some kind of yeah. capacity. Might have uh, been manager. William Rowley transferred himself to Leicester, I want to say Foss? Yeah. Leicester Foss, and at the same time agreed his own signing on fee. This transaction caused uproar and the FA suspended Rowley. Okay, uh What's okay. going on? What's going the on? wiki entry and the Stoke Encyclopedia entry and the contemporary reports, are, are, they're telling the same story. I'm not sure they're entirely telling it the same way. It's really confusing and I'm not... 
like it says he transferred himself to Leicester and even agreed his own signing fee, but it sounds a bit more complicated than that. I've got the report right. of the FA meeting. Um, okay. Bear with me while I zoom in for my frail eyes. The committee were occupied for some time in hearing a report by Leicester Foss regarding W. Rowley of Stoke. The club stated that Rowley had been engaged by them as a professional to take the place temporarily of Beardsley in goal at the beginning of the season. Dogged it. That a bonus of £10 was paid to him and that he was paid £3 in addition and offered £3 a week. Rowley's statement was that he assisted Leicester Foss temporarily as an amateur and that the £3 he received was an account of his out-of-pocket expenses, except, of course, for transfer fee paid to Stoke through him. Mr Hudson, chairman of the directors of the Leicester Foss Company and W. Rowley attended. W.D. Clark's secretary being unable to be present, but it was stated that he had been suspended by the company until the matter had been settled by the association. Mr Hudson informed the committee that the first to last, he and the directors believed they were dealing with Rowley as a professional and were quite surprised to learn that he claimed to be an amateur. Recognising the seriousness of the matter, they laid the facts at once before the association. The money paid to Rowley was entered into the wages book with payments to the other professionals. The club had no agreement in writing with him, however, and no receipt was taken for what was paid him, as was the case with amateurs assisting the club. So all the arrangements were left with Mr Clark, and of course it was supposed he had re-registered Rowley before he played. Rowley stated that he had played for the club as an amateur as Beardley was not available. He and Mr Clark were old friends and he did it partly to help him. And the £10 was for his transfer fee. Now Horace Austerbury, secretary to the Stoke Club, stated that he transferred Rowley to Leicester and that his action was afterwards approved by the directors. Rowley gave him the £10 transfer fee fee afterwards and he took it for granted Rowley would play as an amateur the judgement of the committee was that Rowley and Clark both should be suspended for 12 months from taking any part in football or football management and it was further decided that Leicester should be fined £10 for not seeing that the club officials carried out the rules of the Football Association as regards registration of professional players so Leicester and Osterbury seem to have chucked Rowley under the bus and it's clear as mud it's really it sounded more complicated when i was saying it then than it did when i read it before but <laughs> it just i nobody knows what's going on but something occurred and he was there was obviously some dodginess and he was obviously trousering a bit of coin that he shouldn't have been and then he well he's banned for all football for 12 months so he does the off he might have gone to america nobody really seems sure but he's definitely back in stoke in the next decade um but yeah, it's a bit sad, really. Yes, yes. So a, a FA suspension for 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 Rowley. Um, so uh, yet more kind of uh, farce uh, off the pitch. But uh, as mentioned, the the league form is uh, much improved. Uh, with Stoke finishing <laughs> kind of pretty safely in the first division, away from the now uh, now newly introduced relegation spots, but. Uh, the the kind of headline on on the pitch, as far as Stoke concerned, is that uh, we reached the semi-finals of the FA Cup. Um, George Clawley had returned to Stoke from Southampton and was made captain 
and was in terrific form in the FA Cup. Stoke roared through to the semi-finals where they succumbed 3-1 to Derby County at neutral Molyneux. Cradley Heathbourne, Steve Bloomer scoring a magnificent hat-trick for County. So yes, mm. um, the FA Cup run sees us uh, via replays beat Sheffield Wednesday and Small Heath in rounds one and two, beat Tottenham Hotspur 4-1 at home in round three, and then uh, March 18th, 1899, uh, we lose uh, to Derby County and won't play in the semi-finals of the FA Cup again for 72 <laughs> years. Um, so starting a bit of a, a, a dry spell in that competition. Uh, Scotsman Willie Maxwell gave Stoke the lead in the uh, semi-final, but County levelled before half-time and then took charge in the second period. The Evening Sentinel commented, uh, Derby had their halves to thank for victory. Stoke were decidedly the better side in the first half and it was Derby's luck to get on level turns by means of a scrimmage which was produced by right-back Robertson's miskick. Stoke did most of the attacking again in the second half until Derby got the lead, which they did in an unexpected manner. Unexpected goals, bane of our existence <laughs> for so long. Uh, of course, this put new life into Derby and very little seemed to go wrong with them afterwards, although Stoke played up strongly. The weakness in their attack was the centre-forward. Classic. Again, it was ever this. Uh, the Derby players were very vigorous and did not spare the Stoke team in bumping them about. Kennedy, inside right, being evidently dazed in the latter part of the second half. The Stoke team for this semi-final was uh, Clawley, Robertson, Eccles, Parsons, Wood, Bradley Johnson, not Bradley Johnson, <laughs> Bradley Johnson, Kennedy, Molyneux, Maxwell Turner, which, which is excellent because that meant Molyneux played <laughs> at Molyneux, which is just fun. Um, in earlier rounds, Stoke had... Defeated after replays, both Sheffield Wednesday, who had won the trophy uh, the previous year, or no, three years previously, mm -hmm. in 1896, and Small Heath, and then in front of a record 22,000 ground at Victoria Ground, asked his Tottenham Hotspur, who at that time were a power in non-league football. The Stoke players received a £5 bonus for their cup exploits, but it was to be another 72 years before the club reached the semi-finals again. I've noticed that... Um, I've, I've finally got the Stoke City Encyclopedia out of the loft <laughs> and I thought this is great I don't have to rely on Wikipedia it's the same, anymore isn't it? but then I've just realised Wikipedia is just a copy <laughs> and paste of literally everything that's in this encyclopedia but it's worth uh, reiterating and kind of referring to the original source material rather than crediting uh, Wiki for, for this stuff because it, it, it's definitely uh, illuminating so uh, yeah is it Matthews um, for Stoke Encyclopedia? Yes. Yeah, Tony Matthews. Yeah. Thanks, Tone. Good stuff. I have found the best match report ever, I think. And by best, well, okay. I mean longest. Um, <laughs> if I, is it, it, is, it is from The Athletic. Um, sorry, The Athletic News. It's definitely a different um, thing. Yes. Although, um, if if I read the whole thing, I, I think it would probably take me about an hour. But I have selected some very small segments, which hopefully will be instructive. Um, basically, the Athletic News, not the Athletic, have sent somebody mm -hmm. to Stoke. Stoke were all fit and well and had spent a few days at Matlock and everything pointed to a good hard battle. The Stoke Club has gone through the mill, but now appears to be sound in every respect. And Mr Cowlershaw, the newly appointed chairman, seems to have rubbed off all excrescences and made the team into a perfect whole. 
Yes. <laughs> From all accounts, it required more than a little diplomacy to accomplish this, and only a few weeks ago, under general conditions, Stoke is... Oh, only a few weeks ago. Okay. Under general conditions, Stoke is not a particularly lively place, but when you come to know the district and the inhabitants, especially the inhabitants, you are hard to please if not suited with a visit to Stoke. So this article goes on forever and is basically a travel log where the writer makes friends with some Stoke fans and they tell him he's very handsome. And then after going to the <laughs> station to gawp in disgust at the arrival of only 300 from Tottenham and then nodding approvingly at the crowd which came from a North Staffordshire train averaging 20 per compartment, um, it just really, really goes on and on. Uh, luckily, through the kindness of Mr Cowlishaw, we had seats reserved, and from the subsequent crush, I should say many others would have enjoyed a similar privilege. There was the <laughs> usual band, but I'm afraid the classical music given at exciting football matches is not appreciated at its true worth. And when the instrumentalists were playing round the track during the interval and the ball had been restarted, they were unceremoniously asked to shut up. The bandmaster, being oh, no. a sensible individual, immediately issued orders to the, this effect, but they were hardly necessary, for I noticed that the first and second cornets and the big trombone had already given over blowing and were keenly watching the game. Where is the football Eventually, I mean, this is like, you, you know how old newspapers are like as big as a house? This is already one yeah. full column at this point. Um, <laughs> altogether, I should say there are about 20,000 of us present when the team's lined up. Like, it's not clear from this bit, unless you remember that the athletic news correspondent is, uh, I don't actually know where he's from, but he's definitely from London. Um, Tottenham actually score first. We had not long to wait for an exciting incident, for after Stoke had started well and found Kane and Errants thus early in good form, Bradshaw obtained the ball, passed forward to Cameron, who ran within the 12 yards mark, centred and Hartley crashed the ball into the net. It was very smartly done, especially on Cameron's part, but Hartley appeared to be a few feet too near the goal, and the point was disallowed. It fully deserved to count, and it is a pity Hartley had infringed the offside rule. So he must play for Tottenham. The Stokemen continued to have great pull so far as pressing went, but they could not get close to touch with Cullen. One reason was that Kane and Errants defended so cleverly, and that the three halves were also good, whilst again it cannot be said that the Stoke forwards were particularly deadly. Turner did not seem to be up, and Molyneux made many sad blunders when he was in a good position for getting through. On the other hand, the Tottenham forwards were always on the qui vive. Qui vive? passing with wonderful rapidity and continually on the ball. The Stoke... What is that phrase? They're on the wall. Q-U-I... How are you, sp- how are you spelling that? Q-U-I-V-I-V-E... Vive. Yeah. V-I-V-E. Q-V-E. On the alert or look Okay. The example given on Google is duty requires the earnest liberal to spend most of his time on the TV for for fascism. (laughs) Well, give it ten years. Bloody pretentious university type. The Stoke goal had another lucky escape from a quick run up and centre. Uh, the ball being hooked away. Da, da, da. The only goal of the first half come five minutes before the interval. Molly New putting in a lengthy shot which caught Kane's heel and went through. So there's again 20 minutes of text and then the last sentence is oh Stoke scored um, so we're winning yeah, 1-0 yes. at half time um, so again back to our not at all biased correspondent who has already filled a full column with stories about his new friend Joe and how handsome they keep telling him he is uh, 
Very soon we had an addition to the score and Kennedy, with a cool bit of work, was responsible. Still, the Tottenham people kept going and even when Turner scored a third point with a pretty shot over the heads of the defenders from an admirable pass by Maxwell, they did not lose heart. As a matter of fact, they afterwards had the best of matters. So we're losing 3-0, but they're better. This bloke would love expected goals. Um, (laughs) Although Bradshaw was the shootest... Cameron and Joyce were chiefly responsible. A little later, however, Johnson registered a fourth point and Stoke were safe for the semi-final. A few critical comments. <laughs> so the match gets like a short paragraph, basically, mostly about Tottenham, and we won 4-1. I don't think that any of the 20,000 would say that Stoke deserved to win by four goals or otherwise, and yet it might easily have been 5-1, to one, for in the last minute they were as near scoring as it was possible to be. So he's saying we didn't deserve to win 4-1 and it should have been 5, but we didn't deserve to win. For a start, yes. Tottenham scored what seemed to me a good goal from their very first run-up, but the <laughs> officials were close in and the decision must be respected. It must, however, have been very close. Then, although Stoke did the more pressing, Tottenham had the best chances of scoring, and to crown all, Stoke obtained the lead owing to a faulty kick on the part of Kane, who put the ball through his own goal. <laughs> <laughs> Shame. Uh, <laughs> Faulty for over half. Bloody X, he's a bloody X. <laughs> this guy. Stats nerd. Uh, for over half an hour, Cullen had not saved a single shot, so far as I remember. Yeah, that's how we scored four past him. And it was decidedly hard lines on him to be beaten in this manner. And he carries on for another full column about how Stoke weren't very good and didn't deserve to win and how he managed to then escape the octopus-like clutches of the people he was saying were his pals um, of, like earlier on until he eventually managed to get a train to respectable Manchester. <laughs> what a toss The media. The media, toss-up. everyone. Bloody media in the Manchester-London <laughs> bubble. He's finally gone to a proper working class event and it, they're all scared and wanting the London mm. team to win. From his seat. Uh, God, that, that's, in, that's an absolutely incredible match report. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. And of course, uh, my interest is very much peaked uh, at this stage in Stoke City's history because uh, the uh, new chairman mentioned there is Mr. W.A. Cowlishaw. Uh, just this from the uh, encyclopedia. Guided along by Secretary Manager Horace Osterbury and with Mr W.A. Cowlishaw, now the chairman, the future of Stoke Football Club out on the field of play looked a lot more brighter. <laughs> Always listen to a Cowlishaw Stoke. Uh, there's a nice picture of him there in the... Uh, oh, yes. He's, he's... In the encyclopedia. And I can't tell whether there's just a huge black hole where his mouth should be or that's just an incredible moustache. It's, it's covering pretty much half his face. Hang on. It, it's what what page is this? Because I literally have that same book within reach. Oh, there he is. He's right there. Look. Page, thir- yeah, page 13. Him. Yeah, he's not He's not he's dashing in the same way as um, Bill Rowley, but he's not. He's, 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 what are you saying? He's, he's almost got my forehead. Poor bloke. He's got a bit, he's got a bit of a receding hairline. He's and he's distinguished off. is the word, isn't he's, it, I think? Yeah, de- definitely a, a distinguished-looking gent. Um, I, I should point out, uh, absolutely no relation as far as I'm aware, but Cowlishaw is such a rare uh, surname. Um, so it's uh, always nice uh, when one crops up because uh, I, I don't... I think there's less than 100 Cowlishaws in the country, I want to say. Uh, so... Uh, 
quite something that there was a, a Cowlishaw as chairman of Stoke uh, FC. And yeah, he seems like he did a pretty good job as well, which is nice. Um, so the 1898-99 season, uh, kind of mixed mixed bag. Uh, Molyneux, Schofield, Maxwell, uh, Turner, uh, kind of turn out as frequent goal scorers. But uh, 12th uh, is an improvement on the season before anyway. And of course, that, that, that cup run mm-hmm. uh, that, that is sets sets a stall out for 72 years of hurt <laughs> uh, and even when we end that 72 years of hurt it's just a different kind of hurt um, so that would be something to look forward to uh, is there anything more to say about this season so we've had champagne drinking in training the a goalkeeper a, a club secretary trying to sell himself to another team and getting suspended uh, an FA Cup run the, 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 like it's just mad that this this Victorian football is just kind of this is one of maybe our shorter episodes and it's got the kind of most pretentious match report <laughs> of, of all time and boozed up training antics. So yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't I think my it. my high points of this season were um, somebody important and trustworthy saying we were the oldest football club in in the country um, and Absolutely. us beating Tottenham four one. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think uh, that's it. Obviously, a £5 bonus for the Cup Exploits hasn't obviously incentivised uh, future success in that competition. Uh, and so next season, of course, we, we move in to the 20th century. This is our last full season in the 19th century. Uh, and, and what a century it's been for Stoke. I mean, at least we're still going. That could have easily uh, have not happened Uh so, uh, your Osterbrees, your Fentons, your Rollies have uh, steered the club into kind of at least existence, uh, and which is something into the to, safe uh, Cowlishaw hands to guide only ever yes. upwards from here on. The only way is up. I'm just, I'm just kind of sk- uh, skimming ahead I, I, trying I to read about. <laughs> yeah, no, no spoilers, no spoilers. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, that was the 1898 to season. The chairman. Was Mr. J. Fenton to begin with before he was usurped by the uh, wholly distinguished Mr. <laughs> Cowlishaw? Uh, the manager was Horace Osterbury. The stadium was the Victoria Ground. We finished 12th with 33 points in the Football League First Division. Reached the FA Cup semi final. Our top goal scorer in all competitions was William Maxwell once again with 19. Highest home attendance 14,000 against Aston Villa. Lowest 3,000 against Berry. Average home attendance 7,600. Thank you very much listen- for listening to the Stoke City Years.